0: Fraternal greetings and a warm welcome to you. We're glad that you could join us on the Ashlers Podcast, a space for the world's oldest fraternity to shine some light through Masonic paper readings, discussions, interviews and more. Freemasonry is so old that our lifetime wouldn't be enough to capture its grandeur in the entirety. However, all things great should begin somewhere, and so we are thrilled to start off with Season 1, which will focus on Freemasonry and its roots in India, one state at a time. As a disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely of the participants and do not represent any official positions including those of any Grand Lodge or Constitutions thereof. Best efforts have been made to keep the conversation on the level for brethren and non-Masons alike. Hello and welcome folks to The Ashlers. We are back and this time in episode 18 of season 1 of The Ashlers Podcast. We are going to be covering the God's own country. Yes, that is right. We are going to be talking about Freemasonry in Kerala. All right. So as we usually do, we like to give a bit of context around the state, a bit of history about the state and then jump right into the Masonry aspect of it. So to begin with the word Kerala itself, it's quite interesting. You know, anyone who's ever visited Kerala or has even seen pictures of Kerala will be sure of one thing there will be a lot of coconut trees it's not surprising <laughs> that you know the word kerala has coconuts involved in it as well so let me get down to that um, so according to you know a folk entomology the word kerala derives itself from the malayalam word kera which is which means coconut tree and alam meaning land so thus, land of coconuts. Hence, Kerala. The, you know, it's like a nickname as well for the state used by the locals due to the abundance of coconut trees. No surprises there. Google it and you will see Kerala pictures with coconuts in it for sure. Which, by the way, is amazing fruit. Especially the tender coconuts, which is my personal favorite. All right. Furthermore, you know, the word Kerala is first recorded as Keta Laputo, son of Cheras, Available in the 3rd century BCE, rock inscription left by the Maurya Emperor Ashok in one of his edicts pertaining to welfare. Now just imagine, Kerala was mentioned, you know, in a slightly different word, in one of the edicts by Emperor Ashok. And any Indian would be familiar with the, you know, the legend of Ashok for sure. Alright, now, it's alternatively also known as Malabar, which comes from a combination of the Malayalam word Mala, meaning hill, and the Persian or Arabic word "bar" meaning country or continent. Just see the amount of variations, like you know, you have Persian and Arabic influence on the world. You have uh, King Ashok also having, you know, references to this state. Uh, but I'm sure there's a more to it. And Rinesh, over to you for that.
1: Yeah, yeah well, I was always used to wonder why the whole God's Own Country concept was uh, added to Kerala. Uh, some of the old stories which I knew about was, uh, and this is one of the very famous ones. As per the 17th century, there is a Malayalam work called Kerala Pati. The, the lands of Kerala were actually recovered from the sea by Parshurama, who, as per the Hindu, uh, the, the pantheon of gods, right? He is the sixth avatar of Vishnu. Hence, Kerala is also called as Parshurama Shetram, which is the land of Parshurama. Now, Parshurama apparently threw his axe across the sea and the water receded as far as it reached. Now, according to this legend, this area of land extended from Gokarna to all the way to Kanyakumari. Now, this land which rose from the sea was filled with salt and unsuitable for habitation. So, Parshuram invoked the snake king Vasuki, who apparently spat holy poison and converted this soil into a fertile, lush, green land. And by the way, uh, Shishir, you will actually know this. If you ever go to this area, right, snakes are venerated as protectors and guardians of the land. It is and irrespective to which religion, which caste, which creed you are from in this area, snakes are always venerated. Similarly, there is, an, there is another story which obviously helps us for the concept of why God's own country. Uh, a much earlier Puranic character associated with Kerala is King Mahabali, an Asura and a prototypical just king who ruled the earth from Kerala. Apparently, he had a war against the Devas and he drove them into exile now the devas right yeah these are all these are by the way the puranic gods they are that they are like multiple gods of uh, different uh, technically they were elemental gods and all so they are the minor gods compared to the the three major gods which we know about the brahma vishnu and shiva so the devas right pleaded before lord vishnu who took his fifth incarnation as vamana and pushed mahabali down to the netherworld to placate the devas Now, there is a belief that once a year during the Onam festival, Mahabali returns to Kerala. The Matsya Puran, which is one of the the major Puranas which we have, among the oldest of the 18 Puranas, use the Malaya mountains of Kerala and uh, parts of Tamil Nadu also has the same mountain range as the setting for the story of Matsya, the first incarnation of Vishnu and Manu, the first man and the king of that region. No wonder this country, or sorry, this place is actually called God's own country.
0: And uh, let me tell the folks who are probably new or who don't know much about India or Kerala. The festival of, um, you know, Onam is pretty big. It's kind of like uh, Christmas for the Western world uh, in many ways. And it's a very vibrant festival. And I've seen, uh, you know, regardless of what faith you might be or be part of, uh, everyone gets into the festivities and everyone celebrates it in one way or the other. Usually involves some amazing Keralaite, you know, uh, you know, bunch of foods uh, called Satya. Yes. <laughs> and believe me, if you're into uh, dieting, that one day is going to make you think that Aaj kar let's just eat today and you know enjoy <laughs> yeah. this food because it is fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Alright, so moving on, uh, here's a connection of Kerala with the Western world from the Biblical times. So here's what it is. So of a port or a region mentioned in the Bible by the name Ophir. It was famous for its wealth and often identified with some coastal areas of Kerala. According to legend, the King Solomon received a cargo from Ophir every three years. And this is mentioned in the book of First Kings chapter 10 verses 22. So check it out guys. And you know, the shipment consisted of gold, silver, sandalwood, pearls, ivory, even some animals like apes and birds like peacocks. Rinesh.
1: Weird. <laughs> I don't know why apes, but uh, th- this is an interesting point, you know, like uh, I, I, I actually came across a book by Sir William Smith called A Dictionary in the Bible. Uh, this was published back in 1863. They say that the Hebrew word for parrot is called Tuki, which is actually derived from the classical Tamil language for peacock called Togkai and Sinhalese word as Toki, which also joins other classical Tamil words for ivory, cotton cloth and apes, which are still preserved in the Hebrew Bible. Now, uh, as you Shishir, mentioned about the uh, place called Ophir, the most likely location on the coast of Kerala is apparently Poover in Thiruvananthapuram district. Uh, the books of kings and chronicles actually tells of a joint expedition to Ophir by King Solomon and Hiram, the king of Tyre. And uh, Shishir will actually come across those two uh, seminal characters later in the episode. Yeah.
0: And uh, here's another really interesting, um, you know, tidbit from antiquity. According to tradition, Thomas, one of the apostles of Christ, came to Muziris on the Kerala coast in A.D. 52, which is present-day Patanam in Kerala. Even Vasco Digama's Gama's fleet arrived at Kapadu near Koyilkur in Calicut, which is in the Malabar coast on. 20th May 1498, this voyage to India was a first link uh, between Europe and Asia by an oceanic route connecting the Atlantic and the Indian Oceans and therefore a connection, a bridge between the West and the Orient. What's more, Rinesh?
1: Actually, not only just that, apparently, uh, according to the Syrian Christian tradition, St. Thomas was allegedly martyred at St. Thomas Mount near Chennai on uh, 72 AD and his body was interred in Mylapur. Um, with this this actually makes me uh, sit up and start recognizing man this state actually has been right from the biblical time okay uh, forget the biblical time it's right from the Puranic time to the biblical time and then to our modern world with so almost the apostle one of the apostles of Jesus actually coming in uh, com- coming to Kerala And I think, uh, Shishir, you were the one who told me about it that the Marthoma sect was actually there for uh, one of these regions that they associate themselves with uh, St. Thomas the Apostle.
0: Yes, yes. So uh, one of the, you know, uh, like you have Roman Catholics, you have, you know, different divisions uh, or sects uh, within Christianity. Same way, Marthoma is one which is quite prominent in Kerala. And uh, their leader also resides in Kerala and I believe there are also families um, in Kerala that can trace their lineage back to the first Christians in Kerala who were baptized by St. Thomas, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly. So just imagine the rich history of this state. I mean, it it is just amazing, man.
1: Yeah, I know, I know. And uh, coming to Vasco da Gama, as you mentioned, right, as you said, this voyage, what Vasco da Gama actually found between Europe and Asia, this was mainly for the spice. The maritime spice trade monopoly in the Indian Ocean and the Arabian Sea was mostly with the Arabs during the high and the late Middle Ages. Now, however, The dominance of Middle East traders was actually challenged in the European age of discovery, which is when Vasco da Gama's uh, quest of finding a sea route instead of uh, going through, obviously, the Cape of uh, the Good Hope. And he, he really wanted to find a proper trade route instead of this whole land route, which he was actually, which obviously the Europe had to rely on Arabs for that. So the Portuguese began to dominate Eastern shipping and the spice trade in particular. According to one of the stories in Kerala, which uh, where they speak about uh, Vasco da Gama, is local authorities had asked Vasco da Gama's fleet, Why did you come here? What brought you hither? They replied, and they had said that they came in search of Christians and spices. I'm pretty sure that they were obviously definitely in search of the Christians which Thomas the Apostle must have uh, baptized or uh, got them in Kerala. Uh, unfortunately, Vasco da Gama also uh, died in Kochi in 1524 when he was on his third visit to India. His body was actually originally buried in the St. Francis CSI Church before it moved, or before it was taken back to Lisbon, if I'm not wrong.
0: That's again some, you know, really amazing facts, uh, you know, from antiquity. There is uh, so any of you planning a visit to uh, Kerala? definitely visit a place called Fort Kochi there is one very ancient church over there and it's got I believe it's I mean I'm not remembering very correctly right now but uh, if my memory serves well it's one of the first churches uh, influenced or set up by uh, Vasco Di Gama uh, in hmm. Kerala and it's even got some graves inside the church itself with quite a lot of inscriptions so I had the chance of going there many years ago and uh quite fascinating to see a church so old still standing i hardly have believed that the current buildings will stand another maybe 20 <laughs> 30 years but some of these buildings have you know lasted centuries so yeah that's another amazing thing all right so that's a lot of history and let's now talk about how all of that gets tied in with Freemasonry. now we did mention that Ophir. Which was probably in one of you know one of the ports in Kerala was supplying shipment over to um, King Solomon. Now Solomon also is said to have a joint expedition with Hiram, King of Tyre. Now these two are one of those very important characters in masonry and its traditions in the Blue Lodge, and it's amazing to see that India had connections to these you know historic people in in you know in so many centuries millennia back right uh which mm. by itself is mind-boggling and i keep getting this thought in my mind that india was called the you know golden bird for no reason i mean there has to be some solid reason behind it if people knew it centuries millennia ago it had to have been a major power back then and oh. You know, and then seeing the Portuguese and then the Brits coming over, you know, uh, the English coming over to India and setting up masonry here, which we have already discussed in some of our early episodes. It's again, you know, testament to the fact that how influential our country has been all this while. So with that as a segue, uh, Rinesh, I believe you have more information on masonry in Kerala. So over to you
1: definitely uh before that uh as shishir mentioned about king solomon and freemasonry and all those points uh freemasonry normally uh takes one small biblical element which is obviously available in the uh, holy bible which is king solomon's temple the apparently the first temple ever built for god now we are using that story we are using that concept to explain a lot about the moral virtues, on uh, about what we should be following. Uh, we specifically speak about building that same temple, but not that structure which we know about, not those structures which we can see which can be destroyed, but that structure which is supposed to be built in our heart where God can reside. So we try to bring that kind of an element. And with that, with that as a backdrop, let me just talk about some of the lodges which actually were present in uh, Kerala. The first lodge, uh, which was founded in the year 1806 in Kerala, was by the name Travancore Union. It was at a place called Quilon. And I think uh, most of us would be knowing what which, what Quilon is. This is, in today's date, we call them as, uh, we call that place as Kolam. Uh, along with that, in 1813, Lodge of Fortitude and Perseverance, which I will just give you a backdrop about that lodge as well, a little later. And in 1822, Hibernia and Union. These are the three lodges which actually started in that era. Later, three more lodges appeared one after the other at Kannanur, which is Corinthian Lodge in 1823, Lodge Oriental Star in 1835, and Lodge Western Star in 1865. Look at the choice of the names, listeners. Just just think of these stuff and try to equate with the story of the land, this history of this place. Meanwhile, Lodge Kerala was constituted at Calicut in 1886 and it uh, celebrated its centenary in 1986. It was in 1897 that a lodge named as Lodge Minchin in Trivandrum came into being. 24 years later, Lodge Cochin was formed in 1921. And I think it was in 1941 that Lodge Coulon was established. Kulon, obviously the name plays a uh, column, which was nearly 135 years after the first lodge in Coulon was constituted, which unfortunately stopped working. Uh, besides these lodges under the English constitution, there is another lodge uh, and uh, there is a Scottish lodge as well. A Scottish uh, lodge, Heather Number no. 928 in the beautiful hill station at Munar, and they meet, still meet at the same place. Uh, a small dro- backdrop about lodge Fortitude and Perseverance. It was a lodge for the 18th Regiment of Foot. So, it was a regimental lodge. That means it kept moving between wherever the regiment used to go. So, it uh, started in Sri in the Mandia district in Karnataka. And from there, it then moved to Koulon. Uh Very, in fact, Shishit, this is something which made me just sit and like, think about it what exactly would have uh, the what would be the mind process or rather what would be the thinking in the mind of the brethren at that time now as we have always pointed out right 1961 is the year when Grand Lodge of India was formed now prior to that we had lodges from England Scotland and Ireland so they used to obviously have their affiliation to the Grand Lodge uh, United Grand Lodge of England Grand Lodge of Scotland and Grand Lodge of Ireland so Out of the 277 lodges, which were there back in 1961, 145 of them opted to join the new Grand Lodge of India, which by the way, we have covered in our previous episodes. So there was a proper democratic way wherein every lodge was given that option that each lodge had actually asked their respective brethren. And based on majority, they obviously took the decision. Most lodges were obviously excited to be part of this Grand Lodge of India because they were ready to be, to make history. Right, to start a new Grand Lodge, to make sure that these things are there, learn from all of them and make sure that it becomes amazing. Now, however, not a single lodge from Kerala actually thought of joining the Grand Lodge of India at that time. I'm not sure why. I'm not here to find out that reason as well. This is really interesting because, in uh, so obviously, we had, or rather the Grand Lodge of India had representation from each state. At least one lodge from each state, obviously, were thinking about joining Grand Lodge of India, except Kerala. Now, in the 6 months period after the formation of Grand Lodge of India on 24th of November 1961, which we had informed earlier, 12 months between that, right, there were four new lodges which were consecrated across India, but still not any from Kerala. Lodge mentioned in Trivandrum had resolved to maintain the status quo and said that they would continue to remain under the English constitution. At the same time, some brethren still wanted to be part of the Grand Lodge of India. So what did they think of doing? They said, okay, let's just start a new lodge. Obviously, after the Grand Lodge of India was formed, any lodges which were being uh, consecrated or rather any lodge which needed to start in India will by default become part of the Grand Lodge of India. So these brethren, they were obviously members of lodge mentioned. They started or resolved to form a new lodge in Trivandrum under the Grand Lodge of India. And I think they were sponsored by another lodge called Lodge Shanti, Shanti Number 146. Now, by the way, this consecration of this lodge, right, in Trivandrum, took place during the Grand Festival, which was held at Madras, on 3rd May 1965. And the consecration was then, was conducted by none other than the Grand Master of our country, of India, Most Worshipful Brother, Bhogilal Shah, assisted, obviously, by the Grand Officers. Now, Shishir, I think this is something which makes you sit and, like, well, technically, any any Lodge which actually starts, right, which is getting consecrated, we definitely ask the Grand Master to do that because it is his, his prerogative to do that. And But imagine being in that whole Grand Festival, which is where we all, and you and me have been part of such festivals, right? We have actually attended such uh, annual meetings of our Grand Lodge of India, of our regional Grand Lodge of Southern India. These have been really interesting. So just try to be part of that to, and see history in the making. I think that's something which unfortunately we missed. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, the one I was able to attend was the one that happened in Bangalore. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: usually traveling, traveling becomes a little difficult though. But yeah, let's see in the future. We might be able to attend a few more. Yes. But I would say this, that all these festivals, these meetings, where you know, lodges from different areas come together. Whether it is, uh, you know, the annual one, whether it is uh, for the regional or for the entire country, they in their own right, you know, write history in different ways, because some very key and important decisions get taken there. Mm. So participating in them, you know, makes you part of that written history as well.
1: I I used to enjoy for two things. One is obviously to get to meet these brethren after a really long time. And second, for the merchandise, which I kind of hold and I try to collect as much as possible, especially the lapel pins and the uh, tie pins and everything. Yes, tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, coming to a specific lodge, lodge mention. I was able to find some history about this lodge and it's a really interesting one. Uh, Looking at the way the lodge actually formed and how it came to being and everything. Now, apparently, during the summer of 1897, seven brethren, okay, out of seven, I think four of them were British and three of them were Indian. Uh, seven. These seven brethren conceived the idea of forming a Masonic lodge in Trivandrum. A warrant was obtained from the right worship of the District Grand Master of Madras on uh, 20th of October, 1897, and a lodge named Lodge Minchin, which was named after its founder master, worshipful brother H.A. Minchin, was born. The petition was supported by Lodge Pandian, which, by the way, still exists, uh, it is number forty nine in Gli, and I think it used to be called uh, two three five six. Yeah, two three five six back uh, when he was part of when it was part of uh, UGLE. Now these meetings were initially held in a rented building near Napier Park, where a museum is actually now located in Prevento. Uh Now this is where it becomes a little interesting. Now the idea was good; they started a lodge, but. This lodge actually had a lot of problems. It had no premises, it had no funds, uh, Very uh, the membership was there, but it was not enough for them to actually sustain for lodge. The lodge trundled along with the efforts put in by a handful of brethren and the patronage the lodge received from the ruling house of Travancore. In the year 1903, His Highness the Maharaja of Travancore Actually, uh, because of the request of the brethren, gifted a site of 1.5 acres and an amount of 1,000 rupees, which was obviously too big at that time, for the construction of their own premises. Construction got completed. Still, the lodge was in heavy debt. Now, uh, not sure how were they managing? Was it, honestly, I have no idea what exactly would have gone wrong. But by 1907 itself, they were deciding to sell that land and building to the government so that they can get the, some amount of money and manage something the building was constructed and sold back to the government apparently and i think they now house the prestigious officer or office of director of public instruction dpi junction jagati i think that's that's the name of the place or something anyway uh financial assistance no point nothing the lodge actually came to a point of inaction no work whatsoever by 1914, it said it was not possible even to hold a perfect lodge. Uh, by the way, listeners perfect lodge means for us at least seven brethren needs to be there inside to at least open the lodge. Or rather, be, uh, in a, in the modern term, you can say a quorum. Uh, unfortunately, there were only three active members. So where will you get seven people to start a lodge? Uh, sorry, to open the lodge. So after 1917, the lodge virtually ceased to exist. Uh, Ceased to exist. At the District Grand Lodge meeting in 1919, the Right Worshipful District Grand Master expressed his anxiety about the future of this lodge and disclosed that the lodge has expressed its intention to surrender its charter. Now, this is where things changed. On 6th December 1919, at a meeting held in the old building near Napier Park, some of the members, the few surviving members, held their first meeting after a long recess. This was synchronous with the dawn of a new era of activity and vigor for the lodge. There was one brother who stood amongst the ruins to fight it out and to see the light. It has to be recorded here that he was none other than worshipful brother A. Venkitarama Iyer. He was ably assisted by brother P. Krishnanthampi, K. Parmeshwaran Pillai, and Dr. R. P. Ayya. Now these brethren, we can say, uh, as in the lodge is actually very proud about them, that they were like their efforts actually changed everything. They have been justified as the successors or rather the, the people who actually took care of all these matters, ensured that everything came back. And as of 2011, because this is when I was able to get the data from that lodge, they have a membership of 109. Think about it, three brethren, three active members that literally the lodge couldn't have exist, 209. And back in 2011, this lodge was the largest in the district of Madras which was under the District Grand Lodge of Madras, which is technically the part of the United Grand Lodge of England. Now, this is this is something which is interesting, right? The keenness and enthusiasm of a member that has actually perfected that rough Ashlar to such a standard that we should actually take notes out of it. Ideally, I think one could never come across an occasion when the lodge has actually been closed-styled even a minute after the announced time. No ceremony stated has to be postponed, nor one would observe any peaks and quarrels on the festive board. Now, this is the future or this is something which we all should look into.
0: Completely agree. And, you know, the point that I wanted to raise here is the fact that, you know, if this were a a usual club, Hmm. okay, if this was just another club, people would have just moved on. True. True. they would would have joined something else but what made it so important for a few brethren that Rinesh just called out for them to actually stand put their foot down and say no nothing doing this lodge is going to stay they could have joined some other lodge as well right it's not like there were no other lodges they could have started some other new lodge with a few other new brethren saying that okay let's just start you know with a clean fresh uh, slate but no they fought for it they put in their time, effort and brought that lodge back into life and, you know, gave it a vibrancy and, and rigor. The reason is pretty simple, guys. Masonry is not just a club of a bunch of people who have some weird ceremonies and then, you know, eat and drink and call it a life. <laughs> It's much more than that. It is much more than the collection of the brethren themselves. It is something larger than you, larger than life. And when you see the light, when you realize the message of masonry, you realize that a lodge is a unit of that belief. And, you know, it's, it's like that connecting thread of different people coming together to make something good happen. And I think that, I mean, I'm just contemplating here. Maybe that was a feeling that you know inspired these brethren to uh, take such a big step and succeed in that which is not a small thing anyone who deals with people day in and day out knows how difficult it is to gain consensus let alone making things happen even convincing people to come together and you know do something is not easy so hats off to you know these brethren to really shine the light of masonry and also put words into action. Amazing, 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 I would say.
1: <laughs> yeah. Going with that, uh, let me just tell out the name of the places where the lodges, which are part of the Grand Lodge of India are. We have a lodge in Palghat, Trivandrum, Kochi, uh, Trichur, uh, Trisur they call, Kotayam, Kasargod, Kolam, which is obviously the old name was Kulon, Alapi, Vainar, Palai, Kannur. Pathana Mitha, which, was, which is I think is near Travancore. And Malapura, which is the Malabar Masonic Research Guild. I think I'm really interested in knowing more about that research guild. Uh, Shishir, would you like to share some details about Grand Lodge of Scotland's uh, lodges? Yes.
0: So in Palakkad we have Hope and Sincerity, number 634. This was back in 1879. It was originally in Ahmedabad, which shifted over to Kerala. In Munar, we have a lodge called Heather. Number 928, consecrated in 1902. Then the cornerstone of Christ Church at Munar was laid on 11th March 1910 with Masonic honors by the Right Worshipful Brother G. L. Kerr and Brethren of Lodge Heather No. 928. Tombstone of Brother A. F. Martin, the first Right Worshipful Master of Lodge Heather No. 928, and Brother Baron von Rosenberg, founder member of Lodge Heather No. 928, were are found in the graveyard of Christ Church at Monar. Wow. Talk about some history over there. And then <laughs> in Trivandrum, we have Imperial Brotherhood, number 1041, also consecrated in 1902. Originally from Mumbai, got shifted over to Kerala. And
1: uh, and uh, lodges from United Grand Lodge of England, which is part of the district grand of Madras, they are Calicut in uh, Kerala Lodge number 2188. Trivandrum Lodge Minchin, which I was uh, giving a brief history of, Cochin Lodge Cochin itself, Kolam Lodge Quillon Number Five Eight Three Nine,
0: and of course, how can we you know not mention some famous Freemasons? So, Rene, oh yes,
1: <laughs> over to you. So, so the head of Travancore royal family, Uttradum Thirunal Martanda Varma, is a member of Ananta Padmanaba Lodge in Thiruvananthapuram. And as a matter of fact, stay tuned for future episodes. You will find why the head of Travancore Royal Family has an affiliation in Karnataka. We'll come to that in one of our future episodes.
0: Yes, more to come. But next is going to be the amazing land of Goa. Another fabulous state of India. (laughs) And I hope you guys you know, are uh, are sort of excited to know more about that. It's a small little state, but rich, vibrant history and even more vibrant people, I would say. So with that, folks, we come to an end to today's episode. And as we always say, we are always open to questions from anyone and everyone. Um, any questions about our episodes, our information about Freemasonry in general, we would love to hear from you and we would love to answer your questions and doubts. Not only that, feedback is an important part of, you know, improving. So if you feel that there is something we can get better at, something we can do differently, something we should stop doing, start doing, uh, okay, so I'm sounding like a project manager now, but. you know where i'm coming from so do let us know any feedback we would love to implement that any corrections at all if you feel that there is some information we missed or uh, did not you know uh, mention it correctly let us know we'll you know give a correction in our upcoming episode so with that oh, by notes, the way shishi that shishi,
1: yeah. that reminds me uh, we actually had a correction last time so uh, after our episode on andhra pradesh or uh, 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 sorry Telangana, right, where we were talking about obviously the Nizams and everything, uh, worship, uh, very worshipful brother VL Narayanan actually came reached out to me and he was super impressed, by the way, uh, for our episode. And uh, he was like really excited that we were able to conjure such a thing with uh, getting the data from here and there. Uh, he, however, told us that the Nizam actually was not a Mason. Even though he was a supporter of it, he actually gave the plays and everything, but he was he was not a Mason. So that is something which obviously uh, listeners is a correction from our side. And uh, oh, with that, fascinating. I, yeah, I, I think one more thing which I want, uh, which I before I forget, thank you to Brother Jos and George for giving me these information, for directing me to the right sites, directing me to the right names, giving me these anecdotes which were which actually make the, made this episode. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much for that.
0: Thank you, brother Joseph, and I, I. I'm, you know, we both are happy that you liked it, and uh, please do share among other brethren as well. And do let us know if there is any more things that you feel uh, we can do better. All right. So with that, we come to an end. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe and uh, take care of yourself. Bye. Goodbye. That just about wraps it up folks. We sincerely hope that you liked our episode and got a glimpse into the fascinating world of Freemasonry and what better way than to hear about it from those who are the humble members of the gentle craft. If you have any queries about what we shared on this episode or generally on this podcast or even about Freemasonry please check out the show notes for links to the Grand Lodge of India's website or feel free to write us an email. Please do look forward to the next episode.